we sort of stumbled into a uh, a week-long series, and the reason we stumbled into it is because my friend Tim Peeler, the foremost NC State historian I know, I think, uh, on planet Earth, who is in studio with us, uh, if we can get a two-shot. Uh, can we get a two-shot, Tim? Just say something, Tim. So hey, like, what's going on, Adam? How are you doing no, today? There you go. There he's, uh, he's here. So it was our conversation on, uh, I guess it was last Thursday night, when the with the news pa- came that Dick Sheridan had passed. And then we were talking about that was the best era of NC State football. And we that, I mean, maybe that can be debatable, but we'll talk about it. And it really got me thinking, like, you know, summer's the perfect time to do these types of things. And so each day this week, we're going to kind of explore what the best era was of each of the, you know, the major programs, the six major programs in the state, with all respect to the Campbells and the Elons of the world. Uh, We've got uh, ECU and App and then the four ACC schools. So let's start our conversation. And it is the Dick Sheridan era, right? The best era. Seven years, one losing season, four years of at least eight wins when it mattered. Right now, it's a lot. It's a lot easier to win eight, right? I mean, to be honest, just about every good program should have a couple of ten win seasons. Right. So, I mean, it, it's it's built to be uh, that way because you get yourself into postseason play, and there is no lack of postseason play <laughs> these days by winning eight to ten games. That is not a indictment or a no. criticism of the current things. I'm personally a, a big fan of the bowl system. I mm-hmm. don't like the college playoff system that we have migrated to. Uh, but back then, it was a bigger deal. Um, going back to the 70s, you know, sure. NC State's won seven ACC championships, right? Five of those times, they did not go to a bowl game. After winning the ACC? <laughs> After winning the ACC. Somebody in the SEC say, saying right now, see, it just means more here. Just <laughs> well, means more. It, um, there are a lot of things that went into that, including a significant basketball probation that kept NC sure. State's football team from going to a bowl game. But it is true that they have been very successful. Uh, if you look at the 60s and the 70s uh, for NC State football, there were times they won the ACC championship and did not go to a bowl game. That is that is remarkable. All right, so um, let's start with a kind of a broad look, and then we'll kind of narrow it down. Okay. Uh, and Tim Peeler is in studio with us. Uh, are you on Threads yet? I am not. I mean, I have seen the migration of everybody from really. what was it, Mastodon to I have, yeah, I, uh, you yeah. know to Camel Talk to what I'm just making these wow. things up. Two I threads. thought you were going to say something else. That's <laughs> no. terrible. It's my fault. My fault. Uh, I, my brain. On I a see Monday. where your brain goes. My brain on a Monday. But but I you know I I'm still deciding whether I want to use Twitter or I, not. I don't blame you one bit. <laughs> Uh, Twitter is still more user friendly at this point. Friendly might not be the right word, but it's still more user uh, easy. Um, is the Sheridan era those seven years that as good as NC State football has been? Well, I, I would say that for the longest sustained time, yes. But there were times when Earl Edwards, in um, his 16 years as head coach at NC State, you know, he won three consecutive ACC championships. Uh, mm-hmm. Two of those were shared, but uh, 63, 64, and 65. He won it again in 68. Th- those were good eras for the ACC, but most of the time when he won those uh, ACC championships, they didn't have a winning record. They were 5-5. Five and five. 
Uh, they only played 10 games right. at the time. Uh, it was an unbalanced league. They didn't always play every team in the league. Um, so that, that is a sustained era of success. Lou Holtz came in and had an unbelievable record yes, for what NC State. He lost one home game in four years at NC State. They went to bowl games every year. That was something that NC State had not ever experienced, but it was a flash in the pan. And while I consider the Lou Holtz, Bo Ryan era to be one thing because one came from the other, the Sheridan era basically reset NC State football from three consecutive um, three and eight seasons, five out of six losing seasons, whatever it was uh, prior to him arriving at the same time, college basketball, college football growing at mm-hmm. a different rate. Um, yeah, that that era was unbelievable because it was unexpected and unanticipated in a lot of different ways. Tim Paylor is in studio with us. So why did Bo Ryan? Why did Bo Ryan? I mean, I, I legitimately do not know the answer to this. Why did Bo Ryan leave? He got an offer from LSU. Oh, okay. There, that makes <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and so you you know the story of Bo Ryan. He took the job, and then um, he was out recruiting in January, right after taking the job, less than two months, and he was on a plane that depressurized and oh, okay. crashed into the Atlantic Ocean. Same thing that happened to Payne Stewart. Same thing that mm. happened just a couple of months ago in uh, New York where a plane depressurized mm-hmm. and crashed. So that's what happened to Bo Ryan. Bo Ryan was 33 when he took the head coaching job at NC State. He was 36 taking the job at LSU. Wow. He could have still been coaching right now. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and, and so he, he had – a huge future in front of him, but because he left and then immediately after uh, Willis Casey, who was the athletics director at NC state uh, during that time was known for finding great, great coaches. He found Lou Holtz. He hired Kay Yao. He hired Mm -hmm. uh, Jim Valvano. Uh, He hired uh, Richard Sykes and Bob Guzzo Mm -hmm. and all the people who had had success in so many different eras of, um, uh, NC State Athletics, but he failed on three different occasions to get the guy that he wanted to be the football coach. He wanted initially Pat Dye from East Carolina to replace Bo Ryan. He wanted John Cooper at one point to uh, replace um, Tom Reed. He had other people in mind, and he didn't get those guys, including Sheridan in 1982. He tried to hire him then. Uh, but Sheridan had two kids in high school who wanted to graduate from right. high school. Um, so it wasn't until 1985 that Willis Casey was able to get the person that he wanted for f- at least four or five years to become NC State's football coach. And when Sheridan got here, he immediately turned things around. He immediately wanted wanted things to be significantly different than the three years that immediately preceded him when they lost to Furman uh, mm-hmm. three out of five times, I think. Some some ridiculous number, including two years in a row, which I was at those games as a student and wondering what football was all about at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are people, although I think they have uh, maybe unrealistic expectations, who are still worrying about that. So I- explain, because when I got here, Right. It was the Michael. It was Michael Kane who right. took the job after um, Dick Sheridan left. Um, explain what what was great about the Sheridan era and why why was it so successful? Again, he had the best record, other than Lou Holtz. 
Right. Sheridan has the best winning percentage in NC State history. Right. Um, explain what it was about. What what kind of what was their what was their hook? What was their style? So his style was. We have the diamond NC NC. Uh, uh, he, that, he brought that with him from Furman. The proud place from which my wife graduated ah, and my son that. is about to graduate from. Oh, look at you. So um, he brought that with him from there, owned the copyright to the logo, changed NC State's um, athletics department logo to a diamond NCS, even though there had been versions of that in the past. Um, but he he came in and changed a culture of these are the guys I want to play for NC State, and these are the guys I want to play in the system that I develop. Not, it's not what the recruiting wars are now. You know, where you mm-hmm. you recruit seven players who are listed as athlete, or seven players who you <laughs> migrate down from cornerback to safety to linebacker to right. defensive end to eventually putting them at uh, defensive line or offensive line uh, when they grow to the. Uh, Larger than what you anticipate. Um, he found guys who were 225, 250 pound offensive linemen uh, from Greer, South Carolina, or from you know Airport High School in Columbia, or from right. Eastern North Carolina. Brought them in and taught them to do the things exactly the way that he wanted. And that if that meant practicing a play 150 times a week, then he would do that. Um, he was so good at Furman. <laughs> When he left in 1985, that there were players who decided they were going to come to school at NC State with Dick Sheridan, not because they wanted to come and play at a bigger program, a higher profile program. It's because they didn't think they could start at Furman with the program that he had left behind, that Jimmy Satterfield took over. Really? That's the kind of culture that he had was he took players and made them better and made them work in the system that he had. He ran an option offense, a 50 defense, but he did all those things really, really well. Um, The only time that he ever changed up what he wanted to do and how he did it was when he got here in 1986, which I believe is the most underrated – season in NC State football history because of the success that they had and because of the last second success that they had. They came from behind, I think, in six of the, um, what, 11 games that they mm-hmm. played that year. They played 12. 12. Games, they were 8-3-1. and 8-3-1, one. One, including the, uh, the loss to Virginia Tech in what was then the new Peach Bowl. It wasn't the Peach Bowl. Mm-hmm. It was the new Peach Bowl. But they saved that bowl game from ex- existence because the year before... They were, Ar- they were in it a lot. Yeah, well, they were in it a lot, but the year before, 1985, Army and Illinois played. It was rainy. There was about a a third of the stadium was filled. They didn't sell any tickets, and that bowl was about to go under. But when NC State and Virginia Tech came back, they rebranded it. They got new leadership. They mm-hmm. did a whole lot of things. And that was the most exciting game played that bowl season. And it revived the Peach Bowl. Now, what is Atlanta? What is what is the Peach Bowl? It's the most it, – it is college football uh, city, USA. That's where mm-hmm. everything is. The, college football Hall of Fame is there. The Hall of Fame there. Yep. Uh, my my good friend Gary Stoken uh, put the Hall of Fame there, uh, built the uh, um, Peach Bowl to what it is, the SEC championship game, brought the college football championship and the Super Bowl. And, you yep. know, as we all know, Gary Stoken is a former NC State basketball player. And he is um, – it's funny. He is a basketball player, but, man, it's he is all about college football. And he's all about NC State yes. uh, as well every time we uh, we talk to Gary. But th- that, that run – Peach Bowl, 
the next year it wasn't good. Right. But then it was Peach Bowl, Copper Bowl. I mean, all American. But these are all these are all good bowls. We didn't have right forty four bowl games like we do today. Right. So you needed to win seven or eight games, and you probably needed to be good in October. Yes. Because at this point, we were handing out bowl bids well, like at midpoint of the season. <laughs> there were bowl scouts there. From October 15th on. Yeah. Now, a lot of them came because they wanted to go to the NC State Fair, too, uh, <laughs> when they came to scout. Deep fried candy bars. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but that was the point where it was all about negotiations. It was all about profile. Right. It was all about uh, who traveled with you. And, you know, some of those things still stand, but the, it was really important at that time. And you could get a bowl bid sometime in late October. Oh, Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, you had to be eligible for one, but right. you could, you could, you could absolutely get what a lot of those decisions were made well in advance. All right. Um, haven't won a title since 79, right? They've been close. They've had opportunities that, you know, at least to win a division right. had, have had opportunities. And, um, what, what has been their best season since then? You know, th- this is only going to be one of those things where I trip and fall on my face. <laughs> oh, is it? I, <laughs> that, I don't but, mean you know, for that. No, no but I, I get what you're saying. I'm just saying that there there have been some really good seasons of NC State football. under the During the Amato years, there were some good seasons. If you go back to the Sheridan season, 1986, they could have won uh, the ACC title by beating Virginia on the road the week after they beat South Carolina. But in that South Carolina game, which all NC State fans know, uh, Eric Kramer threw to Danny Peebles uh, when time had expired to to uh, score the game-winning touchdown. But Kramer got hurt on that final okay. play. Uh, he did not start the next week at Virginia. So that game, which is remembered as the greatest game in the history of Carter-Finley Stadium, actually cost NC State a really good chance to win the ACC title in 1986. They did so again. Uh, Sheridan's biggest um, obstacle during his time and his seven years there was playing at Virginia or playing against Virginia. Uh, two times they uh, had a chance to win the ACC title, but lost to Virginia uh, when George mm. Welsh was be you know beginning his program. And then in '90 they uh, they won the national championship, right? No, no, they uh, they were tied with Florida State for the ACC for the ACC, but. Uh, they had uh, they were number one, ranked number one in the in the country at that point. Georgia Tech won the national title that year, but those two teams were were ascending at that point. NC State was never really part of the national conversation in that. But if you look at some of the players that have come from NC mm-hmm. State, starting with um, Sheridan inheriting Eric Kramer as his quarterback, he had Shane Montgomery and Preston Pogue and Charles Davenport and uh, some really good college. Football players, and he had Terry Harvey and Jeff yeah. Bender, and you know he was gonna have Trot Nixon, um, <laughs> but that was that was the summer that Sheridan stepped down. Was the summer that Trot Nixon was coming in to be uh, the All American quarterback and baseball, baseball player. player, and because of that transition, Trot Nixon decided his future was going to be in baseball. Turned out to be a great decision I for think him. So. And um, the Red Sox. And the Red Sox. Um, so. Lots of things were happening there. Um, Sheridan stepped down in the summer of 93 uh, after uh, taking the uh, taking NC State to the uh, uh, Gator Bowl uh, after the 92 season, losing to Florida in what people know as the Fog Bowl, mm-hmm. um, which was the only time I've ever sat in the top of a stadium and 
looked down on a cloud, never saw any of the game because it was so foggy on the field, but not not as much higher up in the stadium. Anyway, they lost that game to Florida. Um, lots of things happened during the spring and summer of uh, 93, and he stepped down about six weeks before the season started, uh, June, June 29th, 1993. I, Michael Kane was a good coach. I remember Bobby Bowden saying once, and we're, we're going to have to take a break here, and we'll come back and we'll talk more about college football in general. Um, Bobby Bowden once said that his most difficult game planning was to stop a Mike O'Kane offense. And a lot of that came from, you know, Mike O'Kane developed the Dick Sheridan offense. He was you the know, offensive the, coordinator. He right? was the offensive coordinator. He had played for Dick Sheridan at Orangeburg High School. So that was uh, that was his first coach. Uh, Mike O'Kane's first coach was Dick Sheridan. They won a uh, South Carolina State Championship with a 13-0 and record. Mike O'Kane went on to become Clemson's quarterback and then became a coach. Um, but... They had a system. I know people don't like to talk about systems very much, mm-hmm. but they recruited to fit people into their system. They didn't always take the best players um, because a lot of times they couldn't get the best players, but they made the best out of the players that they, they had. Did Mookie Wilson play for uh, Dick Sheridan at Orangeburg High School? I do not believe so. Oh, man. <laughs> Mookie. Don't say that name in my presence. Why? I still remember Mookie the, is my the, guy. The, the the day at the day of the NC State Clemson game, NC State beats Clemson, which is ranked the number fifteen on national television. I was working for CBS that day. I introduced the concept of a corn dog to Brent Musburger, and NC State beat Clemson twenty seven to three that night was game six of the 1986 World Series. Excellent. Ah. Uh, what do you mean, ah? Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, no, it, was it wasn't. Day. The Red Sox. I grew up as a tortured Red Sox fan because of Jim Ed Rice. And then they had it. It was all there. Was. They named Bruce Hurst the MVP. And then they did not make the one defensive change they made every single every, game. Dave Stapleton at first. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. Get Buckner out of the game. I get it. All right. The future or the current, the present of college football, which I know you are not a fan of. So we're going to talk about that. Okay. All right. right. The current state of college sports. You're not a fan. I'm not going to say I'm not a fan. You're a fan of college sports. I'm a fan of college sports. I'm also a fan of the kind of college sports that I grew up watching. I think as all people are. Um, You know, I grew up... um, my my formative years were watching Tommy Burleson and David Thompson right. and Monty Tao play. And then my uh, graduating year of high school was 1983, and I'd been accepted to NC State. Um, that was a different kind of era of sports yes. and athletics. Um, and I was just starting to understand it. And I think I finally just started understanding how college athletics worked when I uh, left the newspaper business in, 19, in, what, 2004. So it takes a long time to get to learn some of those things, to know about right. it. And we are now in one of the five greatest eras of changing college athletics that has ever been. If you go back to, say, the formative years of the NCAA when it was created in 1905 because yeah. of the death of so many football players. Uh, or 1935 when Frank Porter Graham came up with the Graham plan that essentially eliminated all possibility of scholarships and all 
uh, intercollegiate athletics. And that was from the university, the president of the University of North Carolina system. And then you had the sanity, um, rules of 1948, where the NCAA tried to uh, bring things back under its control without any enforcement. And then you had the 1952 plan to uh, redo it. Then you had, uh, you know, Prop 48 that changed how things were recruited. That was one of the great, not, I don't mean great, that is one of the um, times of the biggest change in college athletics. Spectacular doesn't have to be good. Right. Right. And so, um, those are the eras that I re- I don't remember all of those, but I know about all of those eras and how things changed. And we're right now in like a decade long change, all created. We by, even, we're not even close to finishing. And we're not close to finishing. No. It's all because of uh, the television money that has been injected into yes. it. That all started about the same time as Prop 48 when yep. uh, that was another opportunity or at least a chance to um, change athletics, change the recruiting of athletics because of what college athletics was becoming. And that was something that was on television every Mm -hmm. week, uh, every weeknight, just about. Then the cable TVs came in and started injecting all kinds of money and all kinds of things. I'm just not to a point where I, I think some of the things that are out there now, uh, the way college athletics is changing, um, is too far afield from what I grew up with. All right. Your thoughts on name, image, and likeness and what that has... I never what is, thought... What is it, what has it done? I never thought it would get to the point where it's at right now um, because I never thought that um, the name, image, image, and likeness would infilt- or get into women's athletics as much as it has. And I think... Because that is part of the federal That's law. That's pure NIL. Yes, pure. That's in- pure NIL. Well, but I'm, like, I, I have some problems. You know what Livy Dunn is, right? Oh, I, L- Livy Dunn, for those people who don't know. I have two teenage know. sons, okay? okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what are you accusing me of, Tim? L- Livy Dunn is a gymnast at LSU. Yes. And I don't know what she, or like the Cavender twins from Fresno State, who then went to Miami and is still, they are still the impetus for the only NCAA uh, sanctions, if you will, and I use use that term very lightly, uh, for an NIL incident, since right. NIL has be, become the law of the land, so to speak. Uh, but Livy Dunn is an, inc- she got, I don't know how many millions of Instagram followers, because, well, she's a gymnast. Uh, she's tremendously athletic. She's gorgeous. All of that. Therefore, she has a lot of followers. And the pure, the purity of NIL is you have a lot of influence on other people because they follow you on social media. So we're going to pay you to do things. Right. My problem with that, and I, I wanted to see if NIL was going to become relevant and real mm-hmm. and legal, then it needed to filter to all sports. Because that is part of the Title IX legislation. Yes. It is a federal guideline, not an NCAA rule or anything like that. It needs to filter to all. My, my problem, and I've, I've talked with lots of women's administrators, lots of people who, you know, I can't say this purely from my own perspective, but I, I was afraid NIL was going to sexualize women's athletics to a point that it turned it into something away from athletics. You see what I'm saying? No, no, I, I mean, that, that's very much. But that's uh, marketing. What What is happening with, with Livy Dunn and other athletes, even the Cavender twins, uh, is marketing. Right. Right. I, I, I get that. Now, there are others, 
other women who have great NIL deals, like Caitlin Tui from NC State, possibly the most accomplished athlete in NC State athletics history. Caitlin Clark from Iowa. Yes, same kind of thing. Those They are actually coming through with groundbreaking NIL deals because they are there from – they are getting those deals with accomplishments. Yes. I'm not saying Livy Dunn is an unaccomplished athlete. No, she's very accomplished. Or – um, the Cavender twins are not accomplished athletes, but I think there's more to their NIL deals oh, than just their athletic accomplishments. And I have an issue with that because, as we've well, seen so much through the years, um, sexualizing which, women's athletics is not a good thing. Wouldn't you have – and this might not be completely accurate, but wouldn't you have a problem with Maria Sharapova? For a long time, well, of course. she I was mean, more – she was she was making more money away from tennis than Serena Williams. Of course, right? I mean that that's the the issue is that I want people to be accomplished for their athletic achievements. I'm not saying they shouldn't be, but that's only they, part of they it anyway. Be, uh, right. right, I get it, but right. I, I know the, I have the, to understand. What I, I, I like to say the purity of the sport. I'm not sure any of the sports are truly pure, or but or, or have they ever been? They pure. have not. So what I was going to ask you, because now we have the collectives. Mm-hmm. And the collectives are, and I don't think we're far away from the collectives actually being under the umbrella of the university. Right. I think that's going to happen at some point. But I will just say that, I mean, don't you think David Thompson and Tommy Burleson and some of those other guys might have been getting $500 handshakes? All I know is that David Thompson would often jump to the top of the uh, backboard, get a quarter, but he would leave the two dimes and a nickel. You know, in the NIL era, that might have been different, right. but that's what he used to do. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's been that's been my argument is that man, these things have been going on for so long. The now- hundred dollar handshakes have been part of it for a long time. NC State got a probation early mm-hmm. on um, when after the sanity rules of. 48 and then the um the enforcement era uh starting in 1952 everett case um was investigated because he was the arch enemy of adolph rupp um and rupp you know abandoned the 1952-53 season just didn't play it because he knew he had been playing paying all of his players enough money to um to to play for him um so NC State got into trouble for offering a player's girlfriend seven years of education, including a degree from Duke. Uh, really? What, That's interesting. And it was also uh, got a probation for giving one of the greatest players in NC State basketball history a set of golf clubs and a membership to Carolina Country Club uh, to come here to play. You know, so those things happened all the time. Of course. Um, going back to the 30s when things were truly uh, difficult. I know of an instance where a coach, I'm not going to name him at this point, um, traded his best two high school recruits for a handful of credits to get his degree. What? <laughs> okay. These things go way back. There, there were oh, all kinds of difficult uh, times in college athletics. NC State, North Carolina did not play for 20 years in any sport because they couldn't agree on what the eligibility standard should be from 1905 to uh, uh, 1920 or 1918 when they were forced to play each other. 
uh, in a game. They they just wouldn't play each other in anything. I think there were maybe two athletic contests between those years between the two teams. Really? All right. Um, let me let me get a couple of more uh, things in. What is your view of where we are as an ACC and what the future is? Tim Peeler, who's an <laughs> NC State historian. Uh, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not labeling you being anti-current college sport. It's very different. And I think that we all, and you and I are basically the same age. Right. You graduated high school in 83. I graduated high school in 84. Um, I, I'm much more militant about. No, I graduated early because I was that smart. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to make any comment about me. Um, I, I do believe I would, I like where college sports is headed. I like the fact that the players are getting the money because you you made the illusion, uh, you you, uh, you basically brought it in that this all began when the TV money started going nuts. Yes, right. And at some point, the players were going to realize that they were helping to generate all of this revenue, and their deal had not changed. Right. My, uh, I guess the biggest issue I have with all that, I, I'm, I'm not saying they don't deserve having the money, mm-hmm. uh, but the money was was generated and went to other things that did benefit the players. When you start talking about stadiums, uh, you start talking about uh, workout facilities, uh, you know, training, um, physical training uh, regimens, all the different things that come along with it. Money did go to those things, and it mm-hmm. did improve their games and what they did uh the the expansion of the staffs of college athletics which is enormous now yes that money did go to those things what the era that i see right now is um i don't like when people say they get nothing for going and playing for a college well, I don't think they get not. I, I would never say they get nothing. I know, but some people do. I would just say, I'm just saying say they only get a college education or they only have the opportunity to get a college well, education. You, and I don't like the devaluation of what a college education is. Well, except that the NC, the NCAA, the individual schools to varying degrees have devalued the education themselves. Right. I, I don't disagree right? with that Be, because and this is what I have been saying for I don't know how long decades that decades of the newest 25 years <laughs> into three decades that the college education has a value, but that value varies from player to player. Right? It, it definitely depends on what the player gets out of it, what the player wants, wants out of it, right? What the university wants to give the player out of it because, and the, what happened at UNC you know, the Carolina way, and they were different than everybody else. As it turns out, no, they weren't, uh, or worse in min- in many cases than anybody else. I'm not here to disparage no, a no. sister institution. <laughs> but my, my point is, the way North Carolina treated a lot of their athletes was that you were here to play, which it'd be hard to dispute that that's the case in a lot of other places. Right? But you are not, you are here to be, we are going to keep you eligible more than we are here to educate you. That That is what the university did in many cases, not across the board, but in many cases. I don't want North Carolina to go, what are you talking about? Like, st- unless you're in denial, uh, you can't possibly think that what all of those reports were not based in truth. So uh, here, here, here's the main thing that I will say out of this, that I've talked with enough 
Um, Gosh, we only have two minutes left. <laughs> I've talked with enough folks through the years and written stories with enough, enough uh, someone who comes from a uh, financially disabled background who mm-hmm. came here and college athletics afforded them the opportunity to change not only their lives, but their families' lives because of what they did with the education that they got. Sure. I understand that in almost every case now, people are doing similar things by getting, um, whether it's NIL money or the opportunity to play professional sports or all of those things. But as someone who has worked at a educational uh, institution for the last 20 years, I always think that the best and most important thing that you can get out of the opportunity to play college athletics is the opportunity to get an education. And I want to see that still going. I see the future of college athletics is that at some point, whether it's soon or later on down the line, that athletics will be disassociated with the universities. They will be um, club teams. They They will be teams that maybe are affiliated with the university, but not necessarily populated by college athletes. Um, not necessarily, you know, the college education will be a, an above and beyond benefit of of being part of someone's athletics yeah, program. St- Steve Logan once said this to me, and Steve is going to come on the show on Wednesday. Um, Logan said that his idea would be, you don't, you don't have to go to school while you're playing. That we'll... You come here, you play football for us. Right. And we'll give you six years to get your education whenever it is you want. Right. To get your education. And there are lots of programs going on at different colleges right now. Um, NC State has one. I know Carolina has one as well. Everybody has them where they will welcome back former athletes to pursue those degrees. I think that's great because the ultimate goal should be turning – that athletic ability into an educational opportunity. All right, let me we'll we'll, we'll close on this Tim Peeler uh, at TM Peeler on Twitter because he's not it's, on. Twitter. It's actually at Pack Tim Peeler. Oh, Pack, Pack Tim Peeler. Did you change that or did I have this wrong forever? You probably had it wrong forever. Gosh, I'm so dumb. <laughs> at Pack Tim Peeler. Um, this go. I, I think these two things are this are are very similar because the overwhelming majority of college athletes probably get more out of the system than they are worth to the system. Right. Right. Uh, So whether it's the non-revenue sports who maybe don't get full scholarships, but they're they're partial scholarships and you can always cover a lot through grants and things like that. uh, They get a lot out of the system. Whereas this is the old system, right? This is before pre NIL. The star players were getting barely anything based on what they provided. So Relative to, to what they provided. So let's just say Tommy Kramer or Tory Holt. When you are a superstar in a high profile in a high profile sport, you provide more than you take. Right? Possibly, yes. I mean I th- I, th- I think in mo- in those cases it was true and I've said this about coaches. There isn't a single coach in college football or basketball who is appropriately paid. You are either incredibly overpaid or <laughs> inc- incredibly underpaid. That's the way I look at it. Right. I, I, and I get that. I get that uh, there is a lot of money involved, all of it coming from television. Um, I don't see in a lot of ways where the money is improving the 
educational opportunities. No, it's not. Or the money is improving the overall athletics presentations for Division Three, Division Two, NIA, NAIA, any of the things that um, everybody needs to feed um, the uh, the. The industrial complex, the athletics industrial complex that we've created going back into uh, middle schools, high school, travel teams, all those different things. We are feeding education through athletics. Television is feeding a lot of money into athletics. I just want to see us use all of that opportunity to create better and more educated folks who use that opportunity to improve but, their lives and the lives of their families. But it, but it's going to more strength and conditioning coaches. That is probably <laughs> true. I don't know. I don't. I right, try not but, to know how much everybody else makes. No, it's, 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 it's not about that. I mean, you could just see there there are uh, – Chip Patterson likes to call how many polo shirts you have. Right. Right. The, like the staffs keep getting bigger, right? And I don't – I mean – to some extent, and that's really just football because that doesn't happen right. with the other with the other sports. Uh, but we're we're not really spreading that 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 money is not going to fund the things that would make a lot of other people's experiences better. It's going to help justify. Like football pays for everything, so we're going to throw all of that money. We waste a lot of money, uh, right? Yes, I could give you several examples yeah. of There's a lot places, of wasted money. A, a lot of wasted money is not just in college athletics, but oh, no, in, no. In, in programs that we feed money to all the Governments, time. And, right, yes. Um, so, but, do, a lot of, do a lot of money wasting. Yes. All right, sir. Are we going to fix it? Is it uh, college sports going to be fixed? We you know, gonna, are we going to have the ACC in 10 years? Until today, nobody asked me how I would fix it. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean... I'm, I'm a uh, vested observer more than anything else. That's all I've ever been is just someone who watched and reported and uh, wrote about sports. So I don't know. I, I, I can't say as I have any answer, but I'll be here to write about it when uh, <laughs> when, when we do, when somebody does come oh, up with a Oh, we didn't even talk about idea. it. Real, real quick, tell me, what you are, do you want to even reveal a book you're working on? Well, no? I'm working on a couple of things right now, but okay. uh, I would really like to write a, a book that tells the story of the most important person in the history of the state of North Carolina athletics. And I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Oh, intrigue. Uh, at Pac Tim Peeler on Twitter, and then he'll be that when he eventually gets over to the threads uh, because I'm sure that that handle is available. I thank you very much. Thanks for having me here. I enjoyed it. You got it.